0: Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time.
1: There's a couple of different ways to slice and dice these various ETFs. They can hold what are called total return swaps. Expect the unexpected.
0: Laura, happy uh, new year. Are you ready for uh, another year on ETF Prime?
1: I am so excited to be here. Happy New Year. And more importantly, happy 15th anniversary of Bitcoin debuting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> happy Satoshi Day.
0: <laughs> 15 You're right. 15th anniversary and 13th year of this podcast. So we have a...
1: I mean, that's so exciting. So exciting. Another great year in, in the works for you.
0: Uh, I'm excited. Um, okay. So I do have your list of 2024 ETF predictions, uh, which I have to tell you, I hope your predictions go better than mine did last year because I had an absolutely brutal year with my annual list of five ETF predictions. Uh, I went one for five. And so uh, when you heard me say there at the top that I disagree with some of your predictions, just keep that in mind because I've been wrong <laughs> a lot recently. Um, all right, so, so let's go through these. Your first prediction is that Vanguard will overtake BlackRock as the number one ETF issuer by assets under management. Now, uh, as of this morning, I show Vanguard trailing BlackRock by about, we'll say, $235 billion in assets. Um, so do, do you really think they can make up that much ground this year? I mean, that's a pretty big gap.
1: It's a pretty big gap. Um, but it's actually a prediction I'm fairly confident about, um, because in the grand scheme of things, it's it's really not that big of a gap, right? It's within spitting distance. And I think that uh, the reason that Vanguard has gained so much on BlackRock over the past few years, it's fairly intuitive, uh, because across their ETFs, they have... Look, an average expense ratio in the single digits, they have a lineup of products that has uh, pretty much every one of the core portfolio asset classes and strategies and styles in it. There's very little fluff in the Vanguard lineup, no shiny objects, just the stuff that investors want Uh, On top of it, the company has really benefited tremendously from uh, their economies of scale, being able to rely on the fact that their ETFs exist as a share class of their mutual funds means they're able to own these big, huge, diverse portfolios of securities and then offer them for really cheap. So the patent on that uh, model expired last year, of course. We've seen some ETF issuers pick up on that model so it can benefit them too, but Look, at the end of the day, let's not forget that Vanguard has an honest-to-God fan base. They have cultivated a sense of community among their shareholders that's like lightning in a bottle. You're not going to be able to replicate that easily. You're not just a Vanguard investor, you're a boglehead, right? That is brand loyalty that's, that's hard to manufacture. And so at this point, I think there's not much that can derail them from taking over the world, much less from taking over uh overtaking their their nearest rival in assets.
0: But just to be clear, is this a 2024 prediction, something you think can happen this year or are you just saying longer term because I guess I I certainly agree with you directionally that I I think at some point Vanguard will overtake BlackRock in in ETF assets, but if I look last year, I show Vanguard brought in about 160 billion BlackRock, about one hundred and ten uh, billion in, uh, in new money. So that two hundred and thirty five billion dollar gap just seems like a it seems like a big gap to close.
1: <laughs> this is their year. I'm going to I mean, it's going to happen some, you know, eventually. And I'm going to be bold because what else is making uh, predictions on, on January 3rd but an exercise in boldness. So I'm going to say this is their year.
0: I like that. Now, uh, I I might actually take the opposite side of this. So I'll tell you to stay tuned for my um, annual bad predictions later this week. Um, But I could actually see BlackRock growing market share this year. And Laura, you know what's going to help BlackRock? Spot Bitcoin ETFs, which gets into another one of your predictions that uh, I, I think we're going to disagree on. So you say Bitcoin ETFs launch. But they fail to gain more than a hundred million in assets combined in their first month. Uh, yeah. I'll be honest; I'm shocked by that. Why are you so bearish on spot Bitcoin ETFs?
1: Oh, so it's it's interesting, right? There's been. Uh, You know, so much happening in the past few weeks so quickly that if you blink, you've missed 15 new developments in Bitcoin ETF uh, proposal land. We saw a flood of new filings in the last half of December with uh, issuers updating expense ratios and authorized participants and creation redemption details all in prep for launch. Uh, 14 proposals ahead of the SEC right now. There's been some excellent reporting on the differences and, and the various evolutions in, in, in these proposals from um, Bloomberg and Ben Strack of our BlockWorks. But from what I've seen of all of this chaos, all, of our, uh, all this hullabaloo, I should say, about APs and cash creates and expense ratios, it, it's all coming from within the House, by which I mean, it's mostly us the ETF industry watchers, you and me, who've been watching these launches so closely. Uh, I didn't get a single crypto question from friends and family over the holidays. That's the first time that's happened in 10 years. So I'm pretty sure the bloom is off the rose on crypto. The shiny object chasers, the regular retail investors, they just don't care. They're off chasing you know, artificial intelligence and everything uh, along that. So and, and meanwhile, the Bitcoin true believers, they don't they're, they don't trust an etf they they're not going to invest in etf they're just going to invest in bitcoin directly like they always have so you know i i um you know i remember a year ago or so i was on the show i said you know we're going to get a spot bitcoin etf eventually but by that point is anybody really going to still care i stand by that and my prediction is yes we will see these things launch we will see them launch soon but I would be surprised if any of them gain more than a few million in flows over what they're seeded with in you know the first month. And, and let's be fair here. Some of those seeds are big. Bitwise, for example, has a seed of about 200 million that I saw ready to roll at launch. Uh, so when I say 100 million, I'm talking on top of that seed. It's going to be tough. They need organic growth. There's a lot of resistance among investors. I think the only exception here might be grayscale. Because, of course, their fund would be a conversion and not a, a launch from scratch. And there's about $26 billion in GBTC right now. So if they're allowed to convert that fund, if the SEC allows it, then suddenly it becomes one of the largest ETFs on the market, crypto or no, it's just one of the largest ETFs. And that in and of itself is a, power, uh, a powerful draw for investments. But I think there's just a very steep cliff to climb here.
0: Once again, I love the boldness of this prediction, but um, I, I completely disagree. I, I think we'll have more than a hundred million in assets after day one.
1: Oh, sure. sure, assets, yes, right? because you you gotta uh, take into account seed. And there's going to be some some big seed coming in
0: for sure. I'm saying even if we exclude that initial seed and I say, let's exclude uh, any grayscale converted assets, I think we'll have more than a hundred million in assets after day one. And I'll be surprised if there's not a billion in these things after the first week. And my, again, you and I, we could do a whole show on the uh, potential drivers of demand or lack thereof around these. But what it boils down to for me, Laura, is I do think there's a lot of pent-up demand from particularly uh, registered investment advisors and, and others in the wealth management space where they're not going to touch futures-based products. Um, they've been waiting for the real thing. And certainly the, the crypto environment overall is not as frothy as when uh, BitO launched back in October of 2021, but it's still pretty healthy. And I think there's enough pent-up demand there that uh, we're going to see meaningful assets into the space. I think a lot of advisors have been waiting to make a small allocation here. And the the other thing that I'll, I'll mention too, just again quickly, is that when, when I see issuers like BlackRock and Fidelity and Invesco uh, want to get involved in this space, they're not doing that for a $100 million um, asset opportunity. And I believe that they've been working extremely hard behind the scenes to line up initial investors. So I, I Because that's a big part of this, right? So we know expense ratio is going to be a big driver in the competition here. But there's also the optics... Of uh, you know which ETF looks like it's going to be the winner, one of the winners, just in terms of assets and liquidity, and so let's just take BlackRock as an example. I can't imagine they're just going to show up to this party on launch day uh, without having meaningful investments lined up to go into uh, IBTC. So we'll we'll see what happens. As a complete aside. I saw a bunch of rumors and innuendo floating around this morning that the SEC is going to deny these things, which can you imagine if that happens?
1: (laughs) Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, you bring up some excellent points. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. I, I, you know, look at the experience that uh, the Ether Futures ETFs uh, had. Um, You know, there's a lot of work that went on behind the scenes to get these products launched. A lot of them launched and it was a big, fat yeah, uh, you know, fizzle, right? Not too much went in on the uh, into those funds. So you know, you could make the argument: well, ether futures are not the same as Bitcoin, and it's still a futures based product, and and all those things. But um, I guess at the end of the day, we're just going to have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to see. And with the Ether futures products, I do think it comes down to the fact that they're futures based, I really believe investors want the real thing. Um, Okay, another Bitcoin ETF related prediction that uh, you have, is that we're going to see options based ETFs using Bitcoin futures. Um, So talk about that one. Are are you saying futures only or spot two?
1: So uh, it could be spot. Um, I I went I played it I played it safe with this one. Um because uh the, the truth is it's a bit of a cheat. We actually already have the filing in place. <laughs> first trust. Yeah, first trust already filed for two of these funds. Uh, they would be defined outcome funds holding flex options on a given uh, Bitcoin ETF. The prospectus does not mention whether it would be spot or futures, so it could launch on either. So if a spot ETF launches, then yeah, they might base it on that, you know. But if it doesn't launch, if all those naysayers or, or, or panic uh, sayers are are correct and the SEC denies it, then you know, futures uh, ETF would probably be the the one that they would uh, use to underpin this ETF. Um, there's two of them. They have both uh, focus on Bitcoin exposure. One would cap the upside and cap losses at 15%. The other would cap uh, the upside and just protect against the first 15 losses, you know, like a traditional buffer fund. And it's an interesting concept. I could see a lot of practical use uh, among advisors for a fund that uh, offers exposure to Bitcoin, uh, but still protects against loss given how volatile the asset is. Maybe this is the instrument that uh, could take off. Um, That said, there's a lot of options based defined outcome products out there. Not all of them have gained a lot in flows. I think you have to have a really good ground game amongst advisors to see a product like this get traction. You know, on the other, other hand, that's exactly what First Trust has. So we should see.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with this prediction. I think you're you're right. We already do have these filings. But let's say we do get spot Bitcoin ETF approval. I think we're going to see all variations of uh, options-based ETF strategies based on that underlying spot Bitcoin Uh, We already have, you know, carbon credit futures, uh, Bitcoin ETF filing out there. My my only pushback, and it's not on your prediction, but just on these buffer Bitcoin ETFs, is that I view the high volatility of Bitcoin as a positive attribute. That if you're owning this in a portfolio and you're properly rebalancing and you have the appropriate position sizing, that volatility actually works for you. And so I don't know why you would want to kneecap that. But nevertheless, I agree. We're going to see uh, a a bunch of these products coming to market. All right. Your next ETF prediction for 2024 is that uh, we will see even more launches and closures than last year, which I believe... We had a record uh, year for launches. I think we were close to a record year if it wasn't a record year for closure. So I I, I agree with this one, but give us your rationale.
1: Sure. So uh, we saw last year in 2023, 543 ETF launches, more than 60 funds higher than what we saw in uh, 2021. Um, of those, 75 launched in September alone, which Heather Bell, my managing editor, tells me just might be the largest month for ETF launches ever. And by the way, she tracks a the weekly launches and closures in a Friday column called This Week in ETFs. It's a great way to kind of keep up to date on what's going on in, in launch land. Um, so, yeah, I think in 2024 we're going to have even more. And how are we going to have more? A couple of convergent trends. So, first, we're going to see these uh we're going to continue to see smaller newer issuers coming to the marketplace with ideas for a single strategy or a handful of strategies based on what they're doing in SMA form for clients. We saw literally hundreds of these last year and the year before. It's all because the ETF rule uh, makes it so much easier and cheaper than it ever was before to launch an, e- uh, an ETF. And that's just gonna continue. Um, I also think we're gonna see a substantial rise in the number of mutual fund to ETF conversions, because let's face it, the mutual fund just kind of isn't what it used to be, right? Um, there's, there's certainly a, a role for them, but uh, that role is um, not quite as huge as it, it once was. So we saw about 40 conversions last year. That was barely anything, just scratching the surface compared to tens of thousands of mutual funds out there. Playing field is wide open here. And you know when you have launches, uh, you have closures. You gotta you gotta trim the fat somewhere. So um, you know I don't think that we will necessarily have a bloodbath when it comes to uh, launch. To, excuse me, to closures. But um, you know one thing that kind of gets lost sometimes when we're looking at closures is that uh, you know, some of these funds out there, uh, the bullet shares ones, come straight to mind. They have an expiration date. They end. And so, uh, you know, the, the 2024 version of the bullet shares funds are, are going to close at some point and then re- be replaced with the next one. So and there are more and more of those kinds of dated products out there. Uh, so I think that's going to contribute um, to maybe uh, an artificially high number of closures uh, for 2024. But I think, you know, the toothpaste out of the tube when it comes to the ETF rule, you can't go back uh, we're just going to have more and more uh, in this year.
0: I think another key factor here, too, is that the cost of launching an ETF has come way down. And it's yeah. still a meaningful financial commitment. I, I, I don't want to say that it's just easy to launch whatever you want. But I think about a firm like ETF Architect, the uh, the, the white label arm of the uh, the Alpha Architect team. You know, they continue to drive down the cost of bringing a new ETF to market. And so that does Bring down the risk if you're a, an ETF entrepreneur and you have a, what you think is a great idea. I, I just think you have more people willing to jump in because that cost hurdle is, isn't as high. So uh, I, I think that's another factor here. On the note of ETF closures, another uh, prediction that you have is that artificial intelligence ETFs join metaverse ETFs as the latest fad to flop. So, are are you talking about uh, are you talking about ETFs investing in AI or ETFs using AI or both?
1: Um. So, I think uh, I'm going to go bold, and I'm going to say both. Um, So, it's a bit of a a controversial prediction, I'm sure. Um, We talked about uh, this. Last time I was on a little bit that um, some of the uh, AI ETFs out there saw big inflows in 2023. Um, those were the ones that were tracking the space. The ones that are actually using AI to pick stocks haven't really seen much in the way of flows in 2023. That didn't really change as we closed out the year. But what I'm talking about with my prediction was the the funds that track the space. Um, and, and look, there's no denying that artificial intelligence is revolutionizing pretty much every industry at once it's obviously not going away anytime soon but that's precisely why it's such a difficult trend to capture in an investment vehicle um ai isn't a discrete sector it's not a discrete technology in the same way that computers aren't necessarily a discrete sector or or television right it's everything and nothing at once so what you have is a handful of tech companies Semiconductors companies, hardware manufacturers, uh, Big Search, that were already uh, poised to profit from AI the most, or, or that, po- that that profited from AI the most, they were already the biggest tech companies that were uh, the most poised to benefit from any huge leapfrog in technology. So why buy a more expensive fund branded as AI on the tin When you can just buy a tech fund or a semis fund capture the same exposure have a longer track record uh and and maybe the same profit potential you know a lot of these quote-unquote ai etfs that have been flooding the market they're really just mag 7 funds in disguise meaning if you buy them um you're getting the same exposures (laughs) that you already have and now your portfolio is over concentrated in the tech sector and, and concentration was a big theme in 2023 so I think by this time next year, AI ETFs will have lost a lot of their luster with investors, the same as Metaverse ETFs did and every other fad thematic ETF out there. There's going to be some sticky assets, of course, and there's going to be some ETFs that do well and continue to do well. But, you know, look, I'm either going to be really right on this one or really wrong.
0: I honestly, Laura, kind of said that better myself. I 100% agree with this one. I think it does feel faddish. I think about you know work from home ETFs. You mentioned the metaverse ETFs. And certainly to what you said, we know artificial intelligence um, is here to stay, but, but AI is everywhere. This impacts, uh, this cuts across all industries and different types of companies. And I think trying to package this up into a small box uh, in, in an ETF wrapper is gonna be very difficult. Uh, so I, I I guess the way that I would say it is the the AI ETFs themselves feel faddish to me. Obviously, artificial intelligence, the quote unquote technology, does not. Uh, but 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 I agree with you. I think we're going to see more closures there. Um, all right, just a couple of minutes left. Your last prediction for 2024 is that more ETF issuers will launch many versions of their high-handle ETFs, like we've seen with QQQ and QQQM or uh, GLD and GLDM. And this is another one, I, I like this prediction, but I'm curious, is there any particular reason or catalyst you have for this? Or is this just the usual uh, ETF fee war stuff?
1: Hmm, I think it's um, maybe me trying to manifest what I wanna see in the world. <laughs> So I, uh, you know, we talked a few months about ago about how I thought this, you know, we saw this huge influx of flows into QQQM over 2023. It was one of the most overlooked stories of the year. I still think that. Uh, and why is it overlooked? Because it's a boring story. It's a story that's so common sense, it barely even registers with people. An issuer offers investors a cheaper version of an ETF that they already love with a lower share price so they can buy more shares with the same amount of cash and then hold them for longer without it costing them an arm and a leg. I mean, why wouldn't you get assets in that fund? It's a no-brainer. So, you know, you see these slow, steady accrual of assets in these mini versions of funds like GLDM. You know, the the mini version of GLD, QQM, QQQM, excuse me, which is the mini version of the Qs, and then even something like SPLG, which is the, the mini version of, of SPY. I think this is a true greenfield of opportunity for investors. There are a lot of triple digit handle ETFs out there that are priced at 40, 50, 60 basis points. Uh, many of the older funds, the big funds around, it's, what an easy win it would be to launch a mini IWV or, 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 or you know, a DIA, right? Uh, Dow Jones ETF. Uh, it's such a slam dunk. It would be great for investors. And it's a way to keep uh, keep it within the family, right? To keep uh, investors staying with the brands that they trust and, and staying with the, the strategy that they trust. It's a win-win-win for everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree. And certainly for the issuers, as as you've said there, because they can keep that higher fee, likely successful ETF, but then be able to offer something lower cost to investors, especially investors who want to allocate uh, into a portfolio, smaller investors with that smaller handle. So I, I like this. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you think something like DIA is one of the best candidates here? Or do you have other ETFs in mind?
1: That was the one that came straight to mind. We've seen uh, quite a bit of uh, interest around the Dow Jones in 2023. Uh, I think I saw a chart that uh, it just continues to to um, perform very, very well compared to some of the other indexes out there. Um, you know, it's a bit of a quirky index, but then again, so is the Qs, right? So um, I, I think there could be an opportunity here.
0: Well, Laura, such a great way to kick off the new year. I'll, I'll tell you, one thing I know for sure is that your predictions will go much better than mine did last year. <laughs> so you're already starting on the, uh, the right foot here. But thank you so much for joining me this week.
1: Oh, Thank you so much for having me. And congrats again on 13
0: years. Thank you. That was Laura Kriger, Editor-in-Chief at Vetify.